This is us. Stories that when weaved together, write a kingdom story. A kingdom story about how we love, build, and send people with the gospel. Erie is the fourth largest city in Pennsylvania. Over four million people visit this flagship city each summer for experiences like Presque Isle, the Erie Art Museum, the Erie Philharmonic, the Sea Wolves, and more. We live in a place where the snowbelt is no understatement, but the warmth of family and friends keeps us committed and devoted to our city. From the very first day our church existed, our goal was to love the people in the city. Pastor Larry Albanese spoke these words of confidence, tell the skeptic and atheist there is a God, and if they don't believe, send them to Erie First Assembly and they shall see for themselves. Our history has been rich with men and women who heard the call and responded. People who chose the approval of God over the approval of men, full of leaders who fixed their eyes not on what was temporary, but what was eternal. And Jesus has used our church as a lighthouse in this community for years, but we are not done yet. We are seeing an alarming change in our community and across our nation. Only two in 10 Americans under 30 believe attending a church is important or worthwhile. This is an all-time low. 59% of the millennial generation raised in a church have dropped out. And 43% of Erie's own population don't associate themselves with any faith at all. Erie's crime rate is 29% higher than the rest of the state of Pennsylvania. And there are 626 children in foster care just in our county alone. A new chapter is being written in our story, full of new challenges. So it's time. It's time for Erie First to carry out its mission with renewed focus and urgency. Erie First exists to love God and his people, build Jesus-centered lives, and send out spirit-led disciples. Love, build, and send. A biblical mission that is worth spending our lives on. A biblical mission that will continue to write the kingdom story of Erie PA. As we love, build, and send people for the gospel, it will change the statistics. One life, one family, at a time. And this ripple effect could change our state, our nation, and it might even change the world. Together, we can accomplish so much more than alone. God will move in ways we can't even dream when we become a church full of players on the field, not fans in the stands. A church of contributors, not just consumers. This part of the story is about you. We need you to attend service so you can engage in spirit-led worship and prayer. We need you to join a group so you can experience anchored teaching in a redemptive community. We need you to serve on a team to be set up for purposeful outreach and radical generosity of your time and resources. These are the values that if we align with them, our ship will steer toward kingdom purpose. This is us. Stories that when weaved together, write a kingdom story. A kingdom story about how we love, build, and send people with the gospel. Will you help us write the next chapter? So we, our stories, weave together, all writing a bigger story, all writing a kingdom story. And there is a city, there's a nation, there's a world out there that needs the saving hope and message of Jesus Christ. And so this new series is all about our church family. This Bible-based, Jesus-centered, spirit-filled, ever-growing, never-perfect, 
but broken and beautiful church family. And maybe you've been here for a long time, more years than you can count, and I thank you for being part of the family, and maybe you've been here just a few times, or maybe this is your first time, but I want to tell you we're thrilled that you're here, and welcome to the family, okay? We're so glad that you're here. I like this clapping over here. For the next several weeks in September, we're going to go deep dive into our mission and our vision as a church. We're going to look at the life of Nehemiah, a man in the scripture who had great vision. So why is vision important? Why is it important that we all run in the same direction and we all run at the same target? Well, I heard this story once that illustrates why communicating vision is so valuable. A man was struggling to get his washing machine into his front door, through his front door of his home, and a neighbor walked past. And the neighbor, being a good neighbor, stopped and asked if he could help. And the man breathed a sigh of relief and said, that would be great. I'll get it from the inside. You get it from the outside. We should be able to handle this in a snap. But after five minutes of continually struggling, they were both exhausted. And wiping the sweat from the brow, the neighbor said, man, this thing is bigger than it looks. I don't know if we'll ever be able to get it into your house. To which the man replied, into my house? I was trying to get this out of my house. <laughs> when we are not all focused and turned in the same direction, we can be working against each other and not even know it and actually think we're helping each other. Now, organizations and individuals, they talk a lot about having a vision, a vision statement, a mission statement, core values, goals. If you're in the corporate world, you probably hear a lot about these things. And this is all really great and something that we've worked hard to do over these past few years to help Erie First, just help these words guide us, um, to help uh, have everyone be able to say what they are. And we're really laying it on thick here, people, this time, okay? Got the shirt, got the sign. Please leave here with at least one third, all right? That's my goal. And so we're trying to, to communicate to you, this is why we believe the church exists. This is what we see in the scripture. But what's interesting is the world operates solely on vision. Vision, things you can see. Observations that you can make. But the significant difference is God's people must operate by revelation, God's people must operate by revelation. God's people function in a radically different way. Christ followers arrange their lives based on the revelation of God, regardless of whether it makes sense or not, regardless of whether they see it in the natural or not. What you see happening here in church today is only part of what's actually happening, right? Because what we believe is there's revelation that God is doing things that the dreams that we can dream up, we can only do if God shows up. In fact, I believe sometimes they have to be just out of reach. That if God doesn't show up, we're never going to make it. Hebrews says this, that God's people have to have confidence in what they hope for and assurance in what they cannot see. And so vision, it's this tension between something to be, what, what something is and what something could be. And each of us, I think we evaluate our own life and we think a lot about this type of thing. We think a lot about what could be different. Maybe it's our job situation. Maybe it's our family scenario. Maybe it's your spiritual life. Maybe you're turning 40 and you're thinking, wow, I thought I would know a lot more about life than I do. That's just a personal example. <laughs> Maybe you think there are things in your life that you wish they could be different. And you know, we all look at our own life, I believe, and we think, I sure would like that to be different. 
Any, do I have any amens out there? I sure would like that, that one particular thing to be different. Well, vision is created out of this tension, okay? Vision is created out of this exact dissatisfaction. Andy Stanley is a pastor and an author, and he said this, and this quote really resonated with me. He said, vision is born in the soul of a man or a woman who is consumed with the tension about what is and what could be. Anyone who is emotionally involved, frustrated, brokenhearted, maybe even angry about the way things are in the light of the way they believe things could be is a candidate for vision. Vision, uh, visions form in the hearts of those who are dissatisfied with the status quo. And so I have good news for you this morning. If you are frustrated, if you are discontent, if you are upset, this is the perfect soil for vision to be born. That is the part of your life, is the perfect place for God to birth vision inside of you. Now, Nehemiah, he's a man in the Old Testament, and he was living in this exact spot. He was frustrated, he was discontent, he was brokenhearted, and he sees the city of Jerusalem defenseless against enemy attacks, and its walls are broken and in shambles. And in fact, several years earlier in the life of Nehemiah, a man named Ezra attempted to rebuild the walls. But when some Samaritans complained, King Artaxerxes issued a decree to stop the project. So even then, red tape existed. <laughs> they said, well, there's people complaining. You better stop doing this. And so Nehemiah watches his, his the Ezra had gone before him and, and did not complete the project. Now, Nehemiah, in this time, he's a cupbearer for the king. And what a cupbearer is, is actually a, a person who guards against uh, the king's cup. He walks around guarding the king's cup so no one puts poison in it. And in fact, oftentimes, he'll drink a little sip first, just in case, so that if it does kill him, they know the king's going to be okay. What a job, right? This was a really a confidential relationship with the king. It offered him a position of great influence. In fact, the, the role of cupbearer was not given to very many people in history. But we see in the scripture, Nehemiah was very close to the king, the same king who had stopped the building of these walls by Ezra. And we see in Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, Nehemiah was so upset with this report from his brother because Jerusalem was where the temple stood. And the temple is where people met and encountered God. Okay, so Nehemiah wasn't just, just worried because money was wasted or this wall he really enjoyed, this historical wall had been destroyed. He was frustrated because the path to God was not protected. The path to his God was not protected. He was brokenhearted because the God that he loved wasn't being honored anymore and people were going astray. In fact, the scripture says that many people at that time were going to pagan practices and they were falling away from what God had intended for them. So Nehemiah is broken because people are not able to feel protected on their path to meet God. 
And he's confronted in this tension because he knows what things should be. He knows what God wants them to be. And so in the scripture, it says he weeps and he mourns and he fasts and he prays. And he's just entreating to God about these deplorable conditions. And God, in his faithfulness, he answers Nehemiah's prayer. Not the way Nehemiah expected, but God says, okay, Nehemiah, that need that you saw, the tears that you're weeping, the frustration that you're experiencing, I'm going to answer your prayer through you. You are going to build the wall. Sometimes when God, when we say to the Lord, here's my frustration, and God says, you're going to fix it, we're like, ugh. I didn't think that was going to be the result. I just wanted someone else to deal with the problem. And God says, listen, I gave you this frustration. I I let you see this need. I let you weep at night about this because you are part of the solution. That's why I gave it to you. And you know, God has given Erie first a vision to love and to build and to send. And he is answering our prayers for this community, for this nation, for this world, through you and through me. Pastor Daniel talked about, God, would you, would you help us be so brokenhearted for the hurricane victims that you would rise us up and send us to either give or to go? That's what we're talking about here. That that need breaks our heart so much that it allows us to be part of the solution that God is sending. You know, when God wants to use us in some capacity, the first thing he does is burden our heart with the situation. And so perhaps, like Nehemiah, you have heard the specifics of a need, and you just can't put it out of your mind. Maybe you are extremely passionate about helping foster children. Or, or maybe when you see people living in poverty, you just can't shake it. Or maybe you don't miss an opportunity to give the missions because your heart aches for those who haven't heard the gospel. Maybe every time you hear about an international missions trip, you sign up. I'm just going on every single week the whole year, 52 missions trips, because you want so bad for the gospel to be said. One time, uh, Joel and I went to a conference, and I heard a, a missionary talk about how they went, they were in India, and they went in, and they, they rescued children, young girls from, from sex trafficking rings, and they needed funding. And I came home from that conference, and I, st- <laughs> I started pulling everything out of every closet, asking Joel if we could sell it. Can we sell this? Can we sell this? <laughs> because I want to give to these missionaries. He's like, okay, put my tools away. You know, like, go to your closet, all right? But I just wanted so badly to help them because my heart was so broken as a mom of three little girls. That need was so serious to me. Maybe you love college students. And all you want to do with your days is educate them and help them to defend their faith. What statistic bothers you? What statistic gets you frustrated? What do you argue with about at the dinner table? What problem bothers you in the world that is your soapbox? Because what we see in the scripture is that Nehemiah's vision stems from seeing the people's needs. Nehemiah's vision stems from seeing what the people needed. And the tension and the frustration he felt was what birthed the vision. And so we need to pray continually that God would give us a heart to feel the burden, that God would give us a heart to see the needs, and that we would be willing to get involved where we can offer some help. You know, you don't have to solve the whole problem. You don't have to fund the whole project. You don't have to come up with the whole strategy. But if you see a need, God has allowed you to see it. 
And if he's allowed you to see it, then he wants you to be part of the solution. And that's why the scripture uses the human body as an analogy for the church, how the church should work. And we find that in 1 Corinthians 12. And it's such a clear and strong message as it talks about, look, if we are all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Not everyone's an ear, not everyone's an eye, not everyone's an elbow. (laughs) That each person has something that they can give. And as we give, we become stronger and we become better. So together, With like vision, we can see the needs around us, the same needs that break the heart of God, and we can meet them. And we can meet them with hope and promise. The promise of a coming king, the promise of a blessed savior, the promise of a God that's bigger and better than we think. We can meet them with that promise. And what else is worthy of spending our life on but that? Now, Nehemiah's vision stems from the needs he saw, and and particularly one of the biggest needs he saw was the broken wall. And what I love about Nehemiah is he knew something so important. He believed something so important, and it was that he believed and trusted that God rebuilds the broken. That God rebuilds the broken. That God rebuilds broken things. That God rebuilds broken lives. And that is why Erie First Mission is to love, build, and send. Because we know that God rebuilds the broken. And we know that particularly God loves to rebuild broken people and broken relationships. How many of you this morning can thank God for a way in his life, that, in your life, that you, he's rebuilt you? He's rebuilt something broken inside of you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. We know you can do that here, and we know, God, that you can do it in this city, in this community, in this world. First Peter 5.10 reminds us that God is in the restoration business, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Now, there's so many stories we could tell about God's faithfulness, but I want to ask my friend Natalie to come up here this morning and just share how recently God has been rebuilding this broken part of her life. I'm going to share a little story about um, kind of how my family is and my relationship with my mom. So the past few years with my mom, I've had a rough relationship with her since she left my dad. Um, about seven years ago. And a year or so after that, my dad ended up passing away. And I was totally withdrawn and not even sure who I was and was trying to find myself again. I didn't want anything to do with my mom, and she didn't really care to have much to do with me or my brother. For years, I struggled with our broken relationship and how I missed things the way they were before our family was torn apart. I hoped she would just apologize for everything she's done I held a grudge for years about what she did to our family. Every time I thought I gave it up to God, I would find myself again and again so bitter and upset about how she was acting. A few months ago at Erie First, um, we were going through a sermon series on forgiveness, and Nicole um, told us that, you know, they gave us little slips of paper and said, write somebody down that you need to truly forgive and just give it up to God for good. And I was just sitting there praying and praying, And I was like, God, like, for some reason, why do you keep bringing up my mom? Like, I thought I got past this. Like, I forgave her. Like, it's okay. And he just kept bringing her up in my mind. And then I realized I never fully forgave her. And now was the time. So 
I wrote her name down, I brought it to the altar, and I prayed, and I prayed. And I just got this immediate release of just such like, wow, like I'm not carrying this burden anymore, and I was just so thankful to God. And I just didn't have the grudge anymore, and it was amazing. And then two weeks after that, we were having like a birthday party at our house, and my mom came up to me and started like talking randomly, and she, she talks pretty fast, so I'm like, okay, mom, like, oh yeah. And so then she all of a sudden said, she's like, I don't know why um, my boyfriend just won't trust me. I've already apologized and everything, blah, blah, blah. And then in the middle of that sentence, she just pauses, and, she, and it, was, it was like a light just like flicked on. She looks at me, and she goes, Natalie, I don't know if I've ever apologized to you or your brother for what I've done. I don't know if I've ever asked for your forgiveness for everything I did all those years ago. And I was like, Mom, you never did. It was, it was something really hard for me to work through. And I really just had to work it out with God to get to a point where I could forgive you. And she actually apologized. Now, I want you guys to realize that this is seven years later. Like, I waited for this apology for seven years. And then all of a sudden, like, I was just like, okay, God, like, I'm just giving it up. Like, I'm not holding this grudge. I'm not going to ask for apologies anymore. I was like, God, it's all yours. And I just laid it at the altar. And, you know, God has such a funny sense of humor with that because of the fact that I waited so long. And then he's like, all I was waiting for was for you to forgive her. And then you can get what you so badly want. I want you guys to realize that, like, God fixes broken things. Like, my relationship with my mom was so broken. And then he all of a sudden just, like, was like, you know what? I know that you've been waiting for this for so long. And you finally got to the point where you can release it. So I'm going to allow you to have this now. And so me and my mom have been working on our relationship since then. And I'm not going to say it's perfect or it's gotten back to where it's been. But I can certainly say that we've at least talked once a week, which is a huge deal to us because we would go one to two months without talking. So God's really working on our hearts and working on my heart. He really taught me what true forgiveness was. And I'm just so appreciative of that because, you know, our relationship is mending. And I'm so thankful to God. Thank you, Natalie. What Nehemiah knew and what I think we can see today is that where there is a mess, God can often do his best work. Where there is a mess, God can often do his best work. He rebuilds broken things. And so we read the first four verses of Nehemiah 1. I want to pick up in verse 5. And now we're listening to Nehemiah pray. He's praying for his problem. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. And I love how we see Nehemiah's faith show up here. He declares who God is, the great and awesome Lord of heaven. And he reminds us that when we see the needs, when we feel the burdens of others, that it is not our power or our plans or our strategy that fixes the broken walls, it's his. That God is the redeemer. That God is the one. Any effort or energy without God's help comes up empty. And so that's why vision is great, but revelation is what we live on. Revelation is what we live on because we believe that God is great and awesome and he can fix broken lives and broken things. And his covenants and promises are true and his love is deep and his heart is broken for the needs of his people. 
And so in this ministry year, we kind of run, uh, in September, we start a new ministry year, just like many of you are going back to school or, or, or just kind of in a new season, we start a new ministry year in September. Let's start strong and let's be like Nehemiah and ask the great and awesome God that only he can do, that he would, he would help change more lives, that he would help more addictions be healed, that he would help more young people called to missions, that he would help more hearts turn to him, that he would help more broken relationships and more broken people and more broken hearts and more broken situations and more broken stories be rebuilt in the name of Jesus, right? That he would do that and that we believe that he does that. And so we just want to be used by him. Our great and awesome God rebuilds broken things. And because we believe that, Erie First is here to love and build and send people with the gospel. And we do this through anchored teaching, spirit-led worship and prayer, purposeful outreach, redemptive community, and radical generosity. Those are the values. That's how we do it. And I believe like Nehemiah, we are moved by the needs of our community. We're moved by the needs of our city and our region and our world. We're moved by the statistics of violence and the, and the poverty and the abuse and the neglect and the addiction and the hopelessness. But because we have seen the great need, we choose to be part of the solution. Because God showed us Humbly, we choose to be part of the solution because we know that God rebuilds broken lives like Natalie's and broken things. We run hard in the direction that he has shown us. And the rest of the book of Nehemiah, we're going to talk more about it this month, but it's, it's an account of how he overcomes obstacle after obstacle. There are problems. There's, overt, there's covert opposition from the enemy. Um, there were so many problems, they tried to stop the work, but Nehemiah persists. And I'll, spoiler alert, I'll tell you the end. But you still have to come to church the next three weeks, okay? He builds the wall in 52 days. 52 days. He builds the wall with God's great and awesome help. And so would you stand with me this morning? What I want to do in this service and together for the next several weeks, just so we can push this vision deep into our hearts that God has given us, we're going to pray this prayer out loud together. Jason's going to put it there on the screen. And I want us to pray this together. So everyone's saying it. If the person doesn't say it next to you, elbow them, all right? Let's do this together. Let's pray together. God, we surrender our hearts so we can love you and your people. Jesus, we give you our lives. Build them around you. And Holy Spirit, we promise we will go anywhere that you send us. Father God, I thank you so much that you have given us a vision, Lord, and it's out of the needs of your people. And so I pray in Jesus' name that you would equip us, that you would show us what to do, that God, what has taken years at some points would only take 52 days, Father, because you are in it. We pray that more people would hear of your great mercy and your goodness, Father God. I pray that hopelessness would be, would be gone, Lord God. I pray you would restore broken relationships and broken lives the way that you're doing over and over and over, Father. We love you. Use us, Lord God. It's all we want for our lives, Lord. Would you use us? And God, it's in your strong name we pray. Amen. Man, I love being your pastor. Thank you so much for this incredible opportunity.